okay, I'm going to start recording and then we'll just jump into it. Oh, I really appreciate you doing this, especially on such short notice. Yeah, of course. I was any chance to chat with you. I know it's been a long time. Yeah. I think the last time we got to hang out in person was when you stayed with us for a couple days and you introduced me to Drag Race and we got to watch. <laughs> um, we started watching Gloria Kellett's One Day at a Time. Yep. If by introduced, yeah. you mean severely forced upon you. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> we had a blast. Yeah, we did. We binged like all of season five. That was Jinx Monsoon season. That and was a good season. Yeah. And then we start. It's, that's funny. We started One Day at a Time, which. Um, which got me introduced to Dave as well. Yeah. And then I got to meet him at Emerald city. I think that's around when I was, no, I I think I stayed with you around Emerald city. And then another time I, that was a different time when I stayed with you just to hang out. Yeah. 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 That's, that's good times. The, the train ticket that you keep trying to give me a check for. (laughs) (laughs) Did you never cash that? Hell no. You're going to, you're going to start finding cash in your house the next time you, uh, Oh, whatever. Yeah. Friends take turns. That's true. Um, It's just that the pandemic hit, and so we don't get to hang out anymore for a while. Yeah. But, hey, I have my first shot, so. Oh, you're so lucky. I cannot get scheduled. I heard that it's a little bit different in Washington. Like, there's some. It's terrible. That sucks. Get it together, Washington. I I had it scheduled, showed up at the place, and either they gave me the wrong address or I looked it up. We're still not sure, but I showed up at a medical center and it was locked up tight. We called them. They said, well, hold on a second. Someone's in there. And then put us on hold forever. No one was in that building. So we left. (sighs) Then they called us and said, are you coming in today? And I said, well, no, no one was there. And they're like, oh, no, you went to the wrong address. So then I rescheduled and and then uh, that got canceled because it was going to be the Johnson and Johnson shot. Oh, geez. And now that they're one vaccine down, all the appointments went. That's insane. I know. Well, hopefully no. by the summer. Well, it'll it'll happen soon enough, and yeah. I work from home, so. And then you won't be able to get rid of me. I'm just going to randomly show up on your doorstep. <laughs> You're not the first person to say that. <laughs> Once because, everyone's vaccinated, yep, it's all going to yeah. happen. That's we great. when we uh, visited my dad today, my, it was my brother and I and uh, my niece. And at one point, my father said, uh, "Miranda, come here, give me a bussel," which is German for "give me a kiss," mm-hmm. and she. I've never seen a little kid more confused about what to do <laughs> because her instinct is of course to go get a, give her grandpa a kiss, sure. but everything she's being taught from her mother, who's a nurse, to everyone at school is stay away. Yeah. And she was just in, it was <clears throat> like uh, watching RoboCop trying to get past the fourth law. Like, uh, e- oh, er, er. yeah. So it's been something that's so strange for me is like, I think I'm a physically affectionate person. And I think that has to do with like a lot of my upbringing, considering that like, you know, half of my childhood was spent in the U S and the other half in Mexico. And in Mexico, if you don't greet everybody with a handshake and a cheek kiss and a pat on the back, then you're considered rude, you know? And then you you see, you see a good friend on the street in the U S and you're like, Hey, how's it going? (laughs) That's kind of the interaction. But yeah, so for like the past year and a half, not to be able to like hug friends or, you know, just kind of like have that kind of interaction has been really strange. Um, but yeah, growing up, such a growing up time. with uh, European immigrant parents are the same way, especially yeah. the Italian side. That's so funny. I saw on a TV show, it was some no- novella um, 
one of the characters was American and he went in to kiss this this woman on the cheek and she was like, just one, we're not European. <laughs> I was like, that's some shade right there. That's kind of great. <laughs> yeah, my my mom's side of the family is like Olive Garden. Everyone, when you hear your family. That's great. I yeah. love the Olive hugs, Garden. Hugs, 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 hugs. Boy, let me tell you. Yeah. We've been, we, in the last three years, I've been to the Olive Garden so many times. It's my dad's only choice. You know, say what you will about Olive Garden, but when like you grow up in Boise, Idaho, that's the fancy place you go eat. It was the fancy place in Dallas, and, Texas. You too. know, so soup, salad, and breadsticks are, that's, for me, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about your upbringing again, first of sure. all, real quick. Because you have a really fucking interesting one. I'm, I might be writing a book about it. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about that. So, so you grew up, uh, well, tell us about where, how you grew up. Sure. Um, I grew, well, I was born in Fort Ord, California on a military base. And that's because my dad was in the military. He um, is from Idaho. My mom's from Mexico. And I'm the youngest of four kids. I uh, grew up speaking English and Spanish. Uh, I was raised mostly in Boise, Idaho. Um, went to school there, graduated high school there. <clears throat> but every summer we would go spend in like as many summers as we could go visit my mom's family um, sh- who live in a small town outside of Mexico City. And uh, when I was 16, my dad retired from the military and I went to live in Ixtapa, Mexico with my parents, which is it's like 100 miles up the beach from Acapulco. Um, so I lived there for a while and then came back to the States to finish high school. And the entire time... I was in Boise and, you know, up until even after I lived in New York, I was raised Mormon. Um, at a very young age, I was like, this is not for me. So I was in this, I was, I would like to say I was in the sunken place for, <laughs> for like 20 years. Like in the movie, uh, get, get out. out. Yeah. Like yeah. I can't be myself, but I'm on this autopilot where I just have to like pretend this is what I believe. And I like to attribute it to the fact that, that like I am Latino, that I'm Mexican. Because growing up, I heard a lot in church, um, you know, that this, the gay lifestyle is a sinful choice. And that didn't, it didn't like register with me because I would think like, wait a minute, if I didn't get to choose who my parents were, like not in a negative way, I love my parents. I love the fact that I'm Mexican and that I'm biracial and bicultural. Like if I didn't get to choose that, then I, I also didn't get to choose this to have these feelings that I'm feeling. Like a, what, how old are you when you're having this self-examination? I, I was probably t- like 10 or 11. Okay. And, and I was thinking like a choice is when you get up in the morning and you decide between oatmeal or waffles for breakfast. Like that's a choice. Yeah. But this other stuff is not a choice. So I feel like I had a very different experience and upbringing than other queer or gay, uh, young men who grow grow up in Mormonism because for the most part they fully believe in it and then believe that the fact that they're gay is bad and they suppress it to the point where I don't know if people know but like Salt Lake City has the highest concentration of gay parents in the United States and that's Are because, you serious? Yeah, and that's because the Mormon church will tell them you got to get married to someone of the opposite gender, you got to have kids, you got to have let spirit babies for Jesus enter this world. Right. And so then they do that. And then one day they're like, I can't do this anymore. They get divorced. They come out. Yeah. And suddenly you have all these gay parents in, in Utah. So <clears throat> I knew from a young age I, I, that for me, that w- it wasn't like real. 
but I still felt pressured because my brother didn't serve a mission, which is what Mormon kids do uh, or boys mostly. Right. So for me, it was like, you're going to bring shame to this family, like Mulan style. So I was like, all right, (laughs) whatever, I guess I'll go on a mission. I did not want to do it, but I did it to please my parents. And for two years, I did a Spanish speaking mission in the Bronx in New York. And that was during 9-11. So I was living in, I was living in New York during that time. Wait, how old were you during 9-11? 19. Oh, for Christ's sake. 19 and 20. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I will say, I mean, we don't need, this whole thing doesn't need to be about Mormonism, but I will say that that experience even more furthered my, like this, like this is messed up for me anyway, because that tragic event, I felt the church leaders in my mission were trying to use that as like this way to emotionally manipulate or spiritually manipulate people into joining the church. Right. Like, like, you know, you're going to have questions and we have the answers and why would God do this? And we can help you with that. And, and I just felt like that was so gross. So I think it's very telling that when I finished my mission, I went back to Boise, I bought a car, I drove to Los Angeles and I never went to church again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about this obviously before because yeah. we know each other well, but one question I've never asked you is, and this is just a, such a dumb hypothetical. Had Mormonism been more of an inclusive religion to you being gay, would you have found any comfort in the religion? My dad, my dad asked me this and it's a hard question to answer because I mean, he essentially asked me the same thing saying like, if, you know, if, if, uh, you, well, he said, if you weren't gay, would you have stayed, you know, Mormon with, was that the only thing keeping you from being Mormon? Mm. And I said, honestly, I would like, I mean, it's hard to tell because I am the person that I am because of right. whatever. But I said, the other issues I have with it have nothing to do with being gay. Like, I don't agree with the way that I think the church operates towards women. I don't agree with, like, I mean, don't say yeah, this. there's a lot <clears throat> wrong with it. Right. Don't say this to Mormons. They'll just get, like, really mad. But, like, you can look up all of the books that the Book of Mormon was plagiarized from. You know, you can read the Book of Mormon and be like, uh, this is supposed to be about Central America during the time of the Bible. And why are there steel and silk and chariots and horses here? That shit was definitely not here at that time. So, you know, if there were civilizations like Lamanites and Nephites wandering around, we would have scientific record of the fact that they were here during those times. So, you know. It's funny because I went through the exact same thing with Catholicism. Mm-hmm. I mean, not well, obviously not the exact same thing. No, but uh, similar, not similar, yeah, kind of issues and stuff. Yeah, well, similar kind of issues with the, um, I'm in the religion only because my parents are in the religion. <clears throat> Actually, because my yeah. mother was in the religion. Mm-hmm. My father would pull me aside. And when we would talk about important things where we would have theological discussion uh, or talk, anything that kind of could be considered philosophical or religious. With my dad, we didn't just talk Catholic dogma. We talked Catholic dogma, but then we also talked Star Trek. We talked about um, physics. We talked about, you know, he brought science into it. He brought literature into it. He brought pop culture into it. That's fun. (laughs) And, And so we would have conversations where it was much more broad. Yeah. And, and I think that kept me in it a little bit longer than if it was just had been my mom and my Nona. Yeah. Who was totally born again, Catholic, like yeah. none of this Vatican two shit mass in Latin, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. but, 
But once you get old enough to start thinking for yourself, I actually didn't make it past CCD, which is uh, when you when you're really young, it's pre junior high, and it's like your first. It's our Sunday. Uh, okay, gotcha. But nothing they said made any sense. None of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I and, mean, and, it, and it did hold up to a 10-year-old scrutiny. And what confuses me is how do people that are now 40, 50, 60, 70, who are well more intelligent than a, than a 10-year-old, how does, it, how does it hold up to their scrutiny? They're not scrutinizing it very much. Well, I think a big part of it is that people who are very religious have that as a huge part of the, they make it a huge part of their identity. Yeah. So they don't want to like, n- nobody wants to be told that what they've dedicated their life to isn't real. Right. So I could hold up, you know, proof in front of, you know, my parents face and the cognitive dissonance that would occur is just, you know, Nope, Nope. You're just trying to like fool me. Nope. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to see that. Because they can't have that be something that tears down their entire the entire system they've built their life on. Yeah, and it's it's, I I mean, from my perspective, it seems so unfair to you, and and to all my other friends. I don't have one Mormon friend close to my age that hasn't had to deal with the inevitable choice between, um not wanting to be a part of that religion for all mm-hmm. the various reasons or having their family. Oh, I full on don't speak to certain yeah. siblings. We don't have a relationship because I'm gay and that is something They're not allowed. that, yeah. And, that, and they don't like that, which is, which is so funny because like, you know, you're not allowed around me or my family or my kids. And I'm like, your nieces are full on your, or your daughters. My nieces are full on like 18 and 16. They follow me on Instagram. They know everything yeah. about my life. <laughs> like you're not, you can't hide that from them today. Right. But I mean, you've had struggles with your mom. You've had struggles with yeah. your dad. That's something that you constantly have to juggle. Yeah. You, you have to constantly fight the Mormon church for the love and acceptance of your parents. Right. And that's, that's a fight that makes anyone who does that exhausted. Yeah. You know, I, I, I will tell you this quick story. Um, <clears throat> Because I feel like it was what helped. And if it helps someone who is Mormon or, and is gay or whatever and hears this, great. But I, I feel like the turnaround, because I do have a decent relationship with my parents now. They have spent Thanksgiving with my husband and I. They've come to visit. You know, they always ask, how is Scott doing? Um, not you. I mean, I'm sure they right. ask about you, but my husband's name is Scott. <laughs> but, Your parents don't ask about me. I mean, maybe. But um, they, you know, when, when I came out and they were having a really hard time with it, my mom wasn't speaking to me at all. And my dad was, you know, trying to sort of rekindle a relationship and chat with me. And he was telling me I was, I was on a break from work and I was fed up with my mom because she wouldn't speak to me. And he said, well, your mom just feels like now that she's lost you. And because you're gay, you know, we, we, um, we're not going to be an eternal family and we're not going to be together forever. And, and I was like, okay. And I said, I don't think you and mom really believe that. And again, because it's such a huge part of his identity, he, I mean, not, he wasn't seriously like taken aback or taken offense to it, but he was like, of course we believe that. How could you think that? Yes, we do. And I said, well, if you believe that and you and mom love me, then you're not making the most of the little time you think you have with me. That's true. If you love me, because right now you both treat me like shit. (laughs) 
And it was the only time in my life my dad ever said, I think you're right. Wow. And I think, I don't know, but I can only guess that he spoke with my mom because after that she started coming around. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, you know, your actions aren't lining up with what your beliefs are. I think to point that out to someone, um, at least to point it out to my parents, I think was one of the only ways that like helped turn things around. But what's funny is that my parents have always been both of them super supportive of me doing artwork, drawing, painting, singing, playing the trumpet, the French horn, anything artistic. They were like all about it. Right. I think my dad had less of an issue (laughs) with, with it because he was not a super like macho, like, uh, misogynist kind of man, but my brother, <clears throat> who was older, joined the military like my dad did. He played football. He was in a band, you know, like he did all these like dude bro things. So I think my dad had that. So he was like, okay, cool, I've got that. So now that I have this artistic kid, that's cool. I'm fine with that. But they always yeah. supported me in artistic, you know, stuff. Bought me comics and. How yeah. funny is that? Because that's usually where a lot of artists have trouble. Yeah, I think so. And that so yeah. that's been like a really different part of my, I don't know, upbringing. <laughs> Do me a favor and um, move the uh, outer shirt a little bit, this collar here that's oh. in front of that mic, so here. it's not rubbing against Yeah, it. yeah, here, that'll be better. Perfect. I'm getting undressed for you now, you guys can't nice. see Nice, that's the go. only reason I really asked. Yep, it's fine. <laughs> oh, nope, can still hear it against your shirt. Better take that. <laughs> you know what, I'm gonna do this. Hang on, wait, this'll, this'll work. I've heard this from someone else. This is gonna work. I am, so... Y'all can't see this, but my computer, because I have severe issues, is on like 10 books right now in two boxes. <laughs> That's your computer stand? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm just going to plug this underneath one of these books, and then hopefully oh. that won't rub up against something anymore. How's that? Oh, that's fine. But now okay. you're going to be choked the whole time. No, it's fine. I'm going to stretch right. it. There we go. Tell me, tell me about... Uh, one of the one of the things that you did that 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 um kind of took off was and I didn't do my research because I forget what it's called. I'll tell you. It was it was the the comic you did about um was it Latino Hispanic? Yeah, Latino yeah. Hispanic. Um yeah, it was just a mini comic called You Say Latino. Um I titled it that just because of like you say tomato, I say tomato, you know, like what right. you know, words and people think these words mean the same thing, but they don't. <clears throat> so you know, I live in Portland, which is the whitest major city in the country. And yeah. I felt like I encountered a lot of people who just use the terms Latino and Hispanic interchangeably. So I was like, I'm just going to do this little mini comic, um, a tiny little kind of like educational six page thing. And I put it on Tumblr when I had a Tumblr, <laughs> when people were using that. And the next day I woke up to like 25,000 reblogs. I was like, what the, wow. what the hell just happened here? Um, I mean, my, one of my friends, Claire had reblogged it and she had a gajillion followers. So that helped, but Claire Hummel. Yeah, (laughs) that's Claire. And so she's great. Yeah. She's awesome. And she reblogged it and was like, check this out. And I think that's what really kind of helped it take off, but that got it noticed by like, um, you know, Latina magazine and by NPR and by all these like crazy, you know, things that I would never think would even see my work. So Vox.com asked if they could um, run the comic on their site, and I told them they could. And it was just a really crazy, interesting sort of experience to see my work shared that way, but then also an interesting uh, lesson in like 
maybe don't read the comments. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely responded to a few where I, cause I was just like, this isn't saying that I'm Mexican and I'm also a white Mexican and I have to explain to other Mexicans that Mexican isn't a race. <laughs> like, <clears throat> why do I have to explain to you? Like, if you've never seen a white Mexican, you obviously never watched a telenovela. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, Mexico is a country. There are white, black, native, indigenous, mixed Latinos. Like, that's what that is. That's an ethnicity. It's not a race. Right. So, you know, I, I screen capped a couple little things and sent them towards people's way and then just kind of like didn't read anything else. But, you know, I feel like it, the people that I've heard from that it really helped, I feel like that's great. And I felt like it was, it happened at a time when like the election was about to happen. So there was a lot of talk about the Latino vote or the Hispanic oh, yeah. vote. And the what 2016 that meant. election? Yeah. Okay. And right. And so that's around the time that Trump is saying that Mexico is sending over the rapists uh -huh, and, and the drug dealers and the, and, yeah. mm -hmm. and I'm like, they're not sending us their best. I, I think the past six years, like five out of the or four out of the five winners of the best directing Oscar were Mexican. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm just like, give me a break. Um, and what I find interesting about this whole pandemic situation and Latino identity and everything is all these white people who are going to Mexico taking COVID there so they can escape, get, you know, like their little vacation in and not even caring or thinking about how it would affect that country because they don't yeah. see Mexicans as people. Right. You know, are people going to Mexico to get their shot? No, I think they're just going there on vacation. Not oh, wearing, like, they're, they're yeah, they're not wearing masks. They're not I'm like Senator Cruz. <clears throat> that's exactly it. And yeah. I just find it so strange The the funny thing is that like, I would say like at least 80% of the illegal immigrants that live in Mexico are from the United States. Oh, okay. And Mexicans don't give them shit about it. <laughs> they don't care. You know, but right. here it's a thing. It's like, it's like, all right. Um, but yeah, I did another one about, um, it's called you say Latinx or Latinx. <clears throat> because that's another term that I think people, especially within the Latin community, had a lot of issue with. And because Spanish is a gendered language, um, I thought it might help some people to read a comic that just explained, look, there's some people in this world who just don't want to identify as man or woman or identify as both. So if you speak to them using the O or the A, then you're gendering them. So the X is just a way to be inclusive. and what I try to do with my comics, those like mini comics is tell people, this is what I use. This is why I use it. I ain't telling you what to do, but right. I'm just trying to say that for me, I think the most basic thing we can do as people is refer to people in this world, the way they want to be referred to. Like you ask people what their dog's gender is. <laughs> yeah. But like suddenly when like someone wants to talk about, the way they identify, you're like, nope, don't want to do it. So <clears throat> a lot of people have issue with it because the X makes Spanish like unconjugatable, unspeakable. But I said, you know, I was watching a TV show and the host of this show welcome have, welcomed everybody. And the word for welcome is bienvenidos. But mm -hmm. using the O still genders a group as like, you're all male. Uh, right. but, but just, and so people are like, you can't say bienvenidexes. You can't, you can't speak that. So, but he said... 
bienvenides. And I was like, what? He just put an E in there instead hmm. of an X. And you can do that. You can say todos is everyone, but the male form. So bienvenides todes is like, welcome everyone while being inclusive. I and, see. And people are like, Spanish, why would you want to change this? Blah, blah. I'm like, language changes all the time. All the time. Why do you think it does? <laughs> so. is, Spanish, is Spanish random with its genders like German is? So like the German word for dog is Hund, and that is der Hund, so that's masculine. And then the German word for cat is Katze, and that's die Katze, so it's feminine. Yeah, it depends on the, like, the thing. Like la luna is the moon. It's right. la, because la is the feminine form of the. Right. And then, um, el sol is the masculine the form for the sun. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I still don't, I mean, I would say that for my language skills, I'm like great with English. <laughs> that's the primary language I spoke. And then with the exception of the brief time I spent in New York City, where I only spoke Spanish for like two years, that was my primary language during that time. But because I don't get to practice it with anybody, I'd say my Spanish is at like 75%. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of my favorite pastimes is, especially when we watch, my wife and I watch any British TV. Mm-hmm. And we hit a slang or we hit something. Uh, so here you'd say, I'm going to go home, make a sandwich. And in, in, on the British shows, they say they're going to make a buddy. Mm-hmm. B-U-T-T-Y. And uh, um, so we're always looking at the etymology of stuff. And every single story about a word that we use all the time uh, is, well, we think this is why it changed. And then they started using this, and then that was it moving forward. So for anyone to say that the language doesn't change is ridiculous. It's everything you're using now that you think is set in stone didn't start that way. Absolutely. Yeah. That'll change. I think that's going to change generationally. I think so, too. Yeah, a lot of people who seem to have a problem with it are older. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, I you have a, I think you have a very degree of like a dimmer switch, right. Of, of, of people who are, are of a certain age that go, no, that's wrong. There are two genders. And I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm that, uh, that does not cotton with me and I'm not doing it. And then you have, uh, the people that are like, well, yeah, absolutely. Whatever you want to be called. And I have my pronouns on my Twitter feed. And I always ask first. And then you have somewhere in the middle of someone like me. That's like, Oh God, explain it to me. What am I doing wrong? You know? Yeah. I, I think that another thing that a lot, a lot of people don't consider is that, so for instance, you have your pronouns on your Twitter I do. and that tells someone who may be either trans or gender fluid or gender non-binary that tells them that because you're okay stating yours, that you are a safe person for them to state theirs to. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of people don't it. recognize that. Yeah. No, I, you know, it's funny and it's important to do. And I didn't do it up to a point. And you, you know, when it changed was when people in my life, uh, when people started entering my life that were gender fluid or trans or questioning, you mm-hmm. know, and exploring. And then suddenly, uh, you know, like most human beings, suddenly you get it mm-hmm. and, and, and it, and it changes your perspective. And then you feel stupid because why couldn't you have figured it out before? But you got there, so you move forward, right? Yeah. Um, one of the problems that I'm going through right now is a incredibly late Kickstarter for the 20th anniversary PvP Kickstarter. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so we're taking all 20 years of PvP, collecting it in hardcover books. That's no small task, though. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, 
no <clears throat> small task and it funded. And then my dad had like three strokes and I became primary caregiver and my whole life got turned upside down. Yeah. Ex that's an explanation, not an excuse. It sh still should have been done. But the problem is, is reviewing all these strips and getting them edited and preparing for the book is this horrific uh, trip down memory lane of every misogynistic, homophobic joke I made in the past that at the time I thought I was, I don't know what I was thinking. I was being clever. Maybe I didn't understand. And it's like I said to Corey, well, uh, the fuck do I do with these strips? <laughs> yeah. You know, because there was a running gag in my comic where if anyone said anything that could be taken as some kind of double entendre, Francis would make a comment about it. And if it was a uh, sexual double entendre, it would be kind of a, the whole eyebrow wiggle. Rah, rah, rah. But if it was anything that could be taken as something homosexual, he would go gay, which isn't the same as like calling someone gay or, but it, it is, it's exactly the same thing. And it's like, you know, what do I do with these strips? And Corey said, well, you never took them down off the site. And I said, well, if I take them down off the site, then someone's going to say, oh, you took these down. You're trying to hide that you were homophobic. That also worries me. Also, it's kind of um, it's kind of an ex it's kind of a history of my growth. And that's important, too. But my fear is that, you know, because most of the people that read PVP, they've been with it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not getting a lot of new readers. And they understand the context of it. They understand the context of me and, and, and who I was and who I am now. But what if some kid picks it up, opens that book, right? Because it's not like a narrative. It's a comic strip. Let's say they pick up book three and open it up, and there's Francis going gay. That, there's no context to that. And they're going to go, oh, well, this guy thinks poorly of me. I'm gay making fun of gays i don't want to read this you know i mean so <clears throat> i have certain thoughts about it and i think that <laughs> i think that like you said it's a testament to your growth and that for me is the main thing because as i read pvp as this story unfolds i, I mean things are a bit different i guess for me since i i know you personally but right but i would think this is if I read it all in one chunk, I'd be like, this is Francis as a character. Right. Who being, being like gay, whatever. But then, <clears throat> but the, the strip that will always stay in my brain is the one where Jade sees Max out shopping with some guy. I think his name is Chris. Who was this Chris? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and she, and she like, you know, discovers that he's gay and they have this conversation about like, oh my God, all the times Francis like said this, like, you know, yeah. said these disparaging things. He's like, yeah, I just, you know, I don't want to deal with that. Whatever. He said, and, he said, uh, I took type, I, because of Francis, I took up Tybo. Right. Yeah. That's so funny though to me. Like that's like, <clears throat> like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't not watch Mad Men because the characters are going to be bad people. Yeah. So so, so like I I and I'm not saying like I I'm appreciate that justification <laughs> and that get out of jail free card. But 
uh, the people that write Mad Men were aware of that. Yes. And my my fear is that I know who I was then. And while I don't, I, I'll tell you what, I remember distinctly when a friend sat me down and said, oh, you're homophobic. Not in a judging way. He just said, oh, you're homophobic. And I said, no, I'm not. It was when I was getting married mm -hmm. uh, because I just didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't have any exposure. I had never met anyone before who was gay. That you, that you, that you knew of. That I knew of. No, you're absolutely right. I know, let's say this then. I didn't know anyone that was openly gay. Right. That's and what I mean. My fear is that I know where I was growth wise. I can kind of guess around the times I wrote those strips. And I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't, oh, you're homophobic and me going, no, but I also wasn't now. And even now I have, I'm sure plenty more to learn and grow. But my fear was again, that, um, I always default to, well, what if it's, what if I did it bad? What if it's wrong? What if it's going to hurt someone? So we asked, uh, the backers because they're the ones that bought all the books and they're unanimously their response was no you leave it in we've watched you grow up that yeah. is why we love the strip that's for me what makes it it in pvp fine is that is that when given the opportunity for like growth or change you can see it in the strip wow you know one of my favorite strips is when francis when Max came out and they are all like, yeah, duh, we've known forever at that point. And Francis didn't. Francis yeah. was the only one who didn't know. And he went to Max and was like, oh my gosh, all those years that I just kept saying gay, gay, gay. And Max was like, um, yeah, it, it sucked. And he's like, well, yell at me, punch me, do something. And Max is like, no, that's mm -hmm. not my job. Yeah. You know, and I'm not so, here to make you feel better. And I think that you're, you know, obviously you were, you're going to think about some kid reading it and seeing, you know, Francis be homophobic, whatever. But I think you should also, and I, maybe you do, but I think you should also think more about the fact that that kid could read that strip. True. And be, and be like, man, this is a, this is a gay character. You know, the, the person that offended that, or that, you know, that was being homophobic is, feels terrible about it. You yeah. know, like, there, there's so many great strips throughout PVP that are so positive and inclusive and wonderful like, that I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad yeah, well, that unanimously we, people were like, no, you, <laughs> you keep that in. I'm going to, I write, I wrote a foreword for the beginning of it, just kind of explaining things. But, yeah, that's all you need to do. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your experience as a writer as opposed to as a writer artist. Sure. Because how long did you do your webcomic? <clears throat> I did the, that webcomic for maybe a year and a half, two years. Okay. So that was mm -hmm. Briar Hollow. Hollow. Okay. Yeah. I did that as like a, for, for a couple reasons. One was I was working full time at Ikea and I said, I'm not going to be in debt for the rest of my life with an art degree that I'm not using. So I said, I'm going to do one page of comics a week. And that okay. doesn't sound like a lot to some people. But at the no. same time, it's like when you're working, you know, 40 hours at Ikea and building mom beds and cabinets and shit like that. 
you know, you get off work and then you have to go home and you have to write a page. You have to pencil that page, ink it, color it, letter it, you know, scan it, letter it, clean it up, right? You know, make the blog post, post it. Like that's a lot of stuff to do in just one week. But I said, if I can do this, then in a year, I'm going to have, you know, a ton of, a ton of pages and I will be able to show editors that I not only can I meet a deadline, but I can make them for myself and meet them and show, you know, right. that I can cons- be consistent. And you can be consistent, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I also learned like definitely don't post any pages till you have like a nice backlog. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did that for a little while and um, was writing and drawing that. And I had a friend who was coloring it. Uh, but yeah, from there, I kind of transitioned a bit into like doing some covers because I had, I had joined Helioscope Studio and, um, I did some covers for a few companies and then got some interior kind of comic gigs. And then I kind of had to have a hard conversation with myself about like, it wasn't definitely, definitely wasn't me putting myself down by any means, but it was like, what am I good at? What is my skill set? You know, I don't want to draw buildings and bikes and cars. And when you draw comics, you've got to be able to draw everything, you know, like right. whatever. So I love drawing people. I love drawing animals. I love drawing portraits, et cetera, et cetera. But I was like, I just don't think I can draw comics. Like maybe, I mean, maybe I can. Sequentials is a completely different animal. Totally. So I was like, but you know what? I love comics. What? And the reason I started drawing was like to be able to tell stories. It's like, well, what's wrong with telling stories, you know, as in script form? I think right. I can do that. But I didn't, I felt like I didn't know. I felt like I had good ideas, but I didn't know technically how to write comics. So I was drawing, you know, for work, drawing comics and covers and whatnot. And I thought, yeah, I'm listening to a lot of TV shows and movies and whatnot while I work. I could utilize this time in a better way. So I started listening to podcasts, YouTube videos, all about writing, how to write comics, what other people do, what other people don't do. And I used YouTube as like my school. Because I couldn't it's afford to go so back. It's so easy to do now. It's so easy to do, and there's it's so much out there. Oh yeah, there's a tutorial for everything. I could go to YouTube right now and be like, "How do I re? How do I thread the bobbin on a sewing machine? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. how do I take my phone apart and put it back together? There's everything. So I did it for the podcast. It was like, yeah. hey, listen, I I have like I have this budget. This is what I want to do. Yeah, uh, and I I learned what mic to buy and everything. <clears throat> yeah. So once I was like. I'm going to just think I'm just going to start writing. And I started pitching stuff. That's when I feel like my career started to kind of really move forward. Yeah. I was going to see, because when you were doing stuff where you were writing it and drawing it, I remember having conversations with you, you know, in Portland, you're at, you're at, at the time it was Periscope. Now it's Helioscope. We yeah. can talk about that too. Cause that's a really cool place. And, and you were struggling. You were, you know, you were taking commissions. You felt like things weren't taking off. I think I recall you being upset that the you say Latino thing had made all this, all this kind of uh, breakout exposure and was on NPR and all these different places in Vox and had done and brought in zero money for you and done yeah zero to, to, to move the needle at all in your career. And, uh, and then we didn't talk for a while and then we talk again and you're like, I pitched a book and it's about murder at a fat camp. <laughs> and I have, I have a, and I have another book that's a Snow White allegory, but it's about you know drag queens. And then I have this other story about a hotel. And then boom, you just exploded. 
yeah. in my opinion, <laughs> from my perspective. That's, I mean, those are all ideas that I have had, and some that I came up with, you know, other people, but ideas that I'd had for a long time that ju- I just needed to write. And then once I did and I started sending them out, they started getting picked up. And I, f- I feel like a lot of what I attribute that to is um, telling in a pitch, when I pitch a book, I include a section about why this book will make your company money or why it will expand or complement your existing library. Okay. And that's because I think a lot of comic artists and a lot of comic writers are like, I want to do this thing. Here's my idea. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be grand. It's going to be amazing. Here's why I want to do it. That's great. But a company can only make more comics if they make money. Right. And so... And it has to fit into their schedule and it has to fit in their lineup. So, So it's not necessarily about the money, but it's about convincing a company that this idea is good for your company. This story is good. And I felt like I was decent at doing that. And a big part of that has to do with, I'll be really honest, a lot of research that I did about the fact that within that, that the Latino or Latinx community is the largest ethnic minority group in the country. And we have the least amount of representation across the board in terms of music, movies, uh, television, books, comics, all of that. But pre COVID, we account for 25% of all movie ticket sales every weekend. Wow. That's a quarter of that whole market of that chunk where we're supporting movies and stories about people who often don't look like us, think like us, sound like us, whatever. Right. So just imagine if you did give up, like, hey, companies, imagine the money you could make if you did make stuff about, are you telling me Coco? Coco made more money in China than every Pixar movie combined. Right. It was like the fastest grossing movie in Mexico in its first two weeks in like all of history. So it's not just enough that you can make stuff for our community, but if you make it and you help us know it exists, then we'll support it. It'll make money. And more than that, I felt like the Latinos that I was seeing consistently in television, a lot of that's changed now, especially thanks to people like Gloria on One Day at a Time and right, and like Eva Longoria, who directs a ton of stuff with, you know, Latino characters and great representation. But um, a lot of what I saw was a lot of male Latinos in comics or in movies or TV were like drug dealers or thugs. Right, and, right, right, and right. And the women were either a frumpy maid who like works for some rich lady, rich white lady, or a sex object. Yeah, they're that over the top Chicano. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, you know, like they're Charo. Right. Gloria even said, like, how many auditions do I have to go on where I have to p- play like a gangster's girlfriend? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and and I was like, I grew up in a house with three Latinas. And I want Latinas who are the fastest growing demographic in terms of college educated people in the United States. I want them to see that they can be portrayed as smart and, and fun and cool and brave and messed up. And like, you know, that they're more than like sexy or the help. And so, so like, you know, like, you know, um, what's interesting to me, you just said, maybe think of something. Um, Rogue one. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. Why, I know, his I know name? The, so Diego Luna. <laughs> Diego Luna, thank you. Mm-hmm. His story about his father seeing the movie and turning to him and going, they let you keep your accent. Yeah. And how it made him cry. Oh, yeah. And it, it, that's the first time it dawned on me, like, certainly they wouldn't ask a uh, Mexican actor to tone down their accent, but 
Yeah, of course they but, do. But they do that all the time with black people. They do it all the time with Latinas. Right. And, it, and, and it's, can you say that a little bit when the, what they really mean is, can you say that less ghetto? Yeah. Is what they're trying to say to them, you know? Okay. Wow. And that's just so messed up. And yeah, like a Mexican in Star Wars, like, like they were so emotional. Like I remember a woman posted a clip that her dad was emotional about seeing right. him in that movie. And when I pitched Hotel Dare, I said, look, this is Star Trek and Harry Potter, but for Mexicans. I said, yeah. all of our modern fantasy we have that's popular is European in its visual language. So that's Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter. Great. Medieval castles and dragons and shit. Cool. But like, isn't, isn't doing one that's inspired by Mexico where the castles are, are Aztec pyramids and feathered serpents are the dragons? And like, doesn't that automatically make it different? And okay, well then explain to me, help me with this, because I've seen you tweet a couple times where, um, I think most recently was Wonder Woman 84, which, yeah. good lord, that movie was awful. <laughs> but, but um, it was like, oh, of course the Dreamstone's from some weird Aztec. Yeah. What, what upset you about that that's different from what you were saying just now? So the, the movie that I think did that to me was otherwise, otherwise a great movie. Yeah. Freaky, which I think is funny and hilarious and great. It was great. And I loved it, yeah. but the object they have is in their words, an Aztecian dagger. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, Aztecian, it could just be an Aztec dagger. Like, so it's kind of Aztec. Like, how is it just kind of Aztec? So that's <laughs> one, that's stupid Two, The thing that pisses me off is that they take it to their Spanish teacher Oh boy. So she can translate what it says on the dagger. The Aztecs did not speak Spanish, bitch. Like that's that's what I like. <laughs> okay. That's like, I did not know that. Well, s people from Spain. So the reason right. that people in Mexico, so this is what makes me nuts, is when people are like, this person speaks doesn't speak Spanish, so they're less Latino than I am. And I was like, guess what? Your ancestors didn't speak Spanish, and they certainly weren't Catholic either. Yeah. Spain came over. And said the cross or the sword. Right. And then all of the people who spoke Nahuatl, which is the ancient Aztec language, which my great grandmother spoke, by the way, like they try to flush that out so that Spanish can be the language. So the Aztec, the Spanish was not around <laughs> when the Aztec daggers were like, like ugh, it just drives me nuts. So it's like all it took was like one A Google research, one Google. Yeah. <laughs> like that's all it would have taken. Like every movie has a department specifically for that. And too. And the idea that in Wonder Woman 84, I don't remember it very well. I think I tried to block it out. But that like what, what killed the Aztec Empire was the hatred from this like stone that's or whatever. Right. I was like, that's no, right. that's called Spanish colonization. Right. Like that's right. ridiculous to me. That was a little bit of rewriting of history. Okay, so, that's right. Yeah, that was severe rewriting of history. And, and it just kills me. It's like, Mexico is such a huge, amazing, beautiful country. I wish people would stop tinting it brown in movies when it's like the most colorful country I've ever seen. I, right. Like, so I'm trying really hard in all of my books to just show like cool, good representation for Mexican characters, for Latinos, Latinas, Latinx people, just so that like, we, cause like we need it. We, we need to see it. And that's a huge part of the Marvel book that I'm writing right now about the Mexican kid that turns into dinosaurs. Tell us about that so real that's, quick. So that's Reptil. He's an existing character who, when they approached me about the possibility of writing this book, I was like, 
one, I was like, wait a minute, this kid's Mexican and you can turn into dinosaurs. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to do this. Right. Yes. But thank number, you. Yeah. Number two. God received my letters. Right. Thank you. I guess. Sorry. Sorry, Jesus, about the gay thing. But thanks. Um, <laughs> and like. He doesn't care. No, he really doesn't. He didn't do anything about slavery. So he doesn't care about gay people. Um, no. So my second thought was a distinct. I have never heard of this character. Mm-hmm. And I was like. I had neither. I was like, wait a minute. If this is an existing character, he's been in comics. He's been on teens before. And he can turn into dinosaurs? How is he not the most popular character with kids? Right. In all of Marvel, right? And I thought, I absolutely have to write this character now. Because the fact that I don't know about him means that this has to be part of the story. So there's characters in the book who who tell him, like, how are we as Mexicans supposed to believe in a better world when we don't even know who you are? When we don't see you out there representing for us? Wow. And it just so happens that the context in which this story takes place in Marvel is that because of uh, K- uh, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, getting hurt mm-hmm. by another superpowered teen, the government has instituted this thing called Kamala's Law, where teenage superpowered beings aren't allowed to use their powers. And um, good luck, you know, yeah, without like a mentor, an approved government mentor, or whatever. Gotcha. So there's the idea. There's the idea in the book of like. But he doesn't, he, he's like, I, I can't use my powers. And someone in the book, there's a little bit of a spoiler, so whatever. But someone oh. in the book is like, you, you won't use your powers. Like, I could care, I could give a shit that it's illegal. Like, like slavery was legal. It's still illegal to be gay in some places. Yeah. So that's different, that you can't and you won't. That's different. So it was really important to me to, like, you know, try to write this character as, one, a teenager. He's 16. And two as like a Mexican kid who is dealing with, you know, a lot of family issues because family is so important to, you know, the Latino community and his parents in the comics disappeared after like a dig that they were were paleontologists. So they disappeared after. And I was like, well, uh, where, where are they? (laughs) So I was like, that has to be part of it. Then this is about family. This is about being Mexican. So yeah. When's that coming out? The first issue comes out May 26th. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And then the second issue will come out in June, the third in July. And then I believe that the fourth and final issue will come out in September, which is great because that coincides with Hispanic Heritage Month. Who approached you about that? Was that, did someone notice your self-published books? So a couple editors at Marvel um, approached my agent because they had read Hotel Dare. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. saw that it was super Mexican. So you never know, right? Right. Yeah. So one of the big themes, one of the big themes of this podcast that we always say is there is no such thing as luck. It's always uh, preparedness meeting opportunity. Oh, that's, I fully believe that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, and, and um, you know, the importance of, of just making the thing. And we, that's another thing that we talk about. I talk about a lot. And I've been talking to it about my, with my guests lately is I'm really fascinated now, especially now that I've gotten a little bit older in redefining what, success means for a project or even a career because you could say take a i say latino you could Mm -hmm. take that as either a very successful project or a failure of a project depending on what your goals were for it but i can't see that as anything but a success looking back on it i can't see it as anything but a success because anytime 
you know, it'll be random. It'll be like a, a, a Facebook comment from some other, on some other person's wall that's like, I don't understand this Hispan the difference between the, and someone will post my comic. Right. That I don't even know. And I'm right. like, what? And so for me, I see that as a success and I have to look back on why did I even make this comic? Yeah, it was because you wanted to help people understand the difference between these terms. It wasn't to like further your career. No, you know, it wasn't to like, exactly. Support. I think my frustration with that came from like, this led to a lot of exposure. I don't understand why, you know, something else isn't happening here, but no, but, and then, it, but then it did. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Then it did though. Well, yeah, I was able to, here's the thing that I think a lot of young people don't understand is they think that they're going to create beautiful art and that people will come to them and be like, I love this art. You need to work for me. And I don't think that's how it works. So no, I did, not. I did that comic and Vox asked if they could run it. So when I was like, I think I want to do this, you say Latinx comic. Well, I just approached Vox and I was like, Hey, I have another comic I'm doing. It's about a similar issue. Do you want to run it? And they were like, sure. And I was like, cool, pay me. Right. The second time. Yep. The second time. And then yeah. they contacted me a third time. Do you have any interest in doing another? I was like, sure. Because I think that it's shitty when you see people in the United States speaking a language that's not English and some racist comes after them. So right. I should do a comic about how there is no official language in the United States. <laughs> so the first comic you gave them for free. The second yep. comic they said, yeah. And you said, okay, pay me. Yep. And then the, the third, third comic one, they came to you and said, we'd like to pay you to do a comic. Yep, Exactly. I love and it. And that's and that's how I think it works. I don't want people to underestimate the power of like emailing an editor and saying, "Hey, I'm free to work right now. You got anything going on?" Yeah. It's the people who kind of speak up that, you know, I think get and who and who uh follow up who I think get more work. Yeah, you know, I've found that too in my history. So many people that I know uh, and that I've met over my career that I've become good friends with or have become you know, important contacts in my life happened because I cold called somebody. Oh yeah. I, I had just, um, watched the new invincible cartoon on prime. I love it. <laughs> and it, and it brought me right back to when that comic first came out. I was with image. I just gotten my image contract. And one of the things that I got as a part of that contract was a little phone directory. Mm. And so this, all of a sudden, I have all these professionals' phone numbers, and here's this comic that just came out that I love. Of course, Robert wasn't Robert Kirkman at the time. Yeah. And so I immediately looked up Robert's phone number and called him and said, Hi, I'm Scott Kurtz. I do an image comic. I just read Invincible. I want to tell you it's the greatest thing I've ever read. That forged a friendship uh, between me and Robert. I guess Robert and I is what I should say. That led to us becoming closer friends. He helped me so much with my career. Um, I learned so much from Robert. Uh, when we got the call that Mike Waringo had died, I flew out to his house and we drove from Kentucky to uh, wherever it was for Mike's funeral. You know, it's so many memories just from a cold call. Yeah. And, you know, I still have his number in my phone and I pinged him a text and said, um, watching the series, it's just, it's bringing me back. It's just so good. And I just can't believe how well you guys nailed Corey Walker's style in animation. Like the, you pulled it off. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I like totally that's Corey's that. line. That's his line work right there. And yeah. Just the, the, the model, um, on model for the faces and all that stuff. 
And, uh, you know, he responded and said, thanks. I don't like to take up too much of his time and I don't like to, to bug him. Cause I'm sure everyone's cause now he is Robert Kirkman, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, just being able to do that. And, um, it, it, we always also tell people it's the same thing when you're doing a contract, someone offers you a contract and you're afraid to say, I don't like this one clause because then they're going to go, what? You don't like a clause. How dare you, sir? Monocle pop, you know, yeah. you know, their little cummerbund goes, what? the unmitigated goal. Gentlemen, please. And then, uh, and they're like, well, now you don't get a, you don't get a contract. And that's just not how it works. How it works. Yeah. And it's, you know, don't underestimate the value of an agent because then if you have one, they get to do that for you. And it's like, it's not even coming from you. Right. And that's important too. Yeah. It's, it's huge. It takes a huge load off of your mind. Absolutely. And plus we're constantly fighting imposter syndrome anyway. Oh yeah. I don't see, I I don't think that ever goes away. No, it's, that's one of the things I learned from uh, drag race (laughs) where, you know, RuPaul was like that little voice, that voice never goes away. It doesn't go away. But what you have to do is counteract it with a different voice Yeah, that says, okay, that like you can name it whatever you want. So I call that nasty voice in my head, Brenda. <laughs> this is what I call her. <laughs> and so like, okay, so then RuPaul says, you got to go, okay, thank you, Brenda. That's great. Thanks for sharing. That's hilarious. But I'm going to go over here and do this now. Because am I going to let Brenda stop me from like this bitchy right. voice in my head from doing the thing that I love? Well, no. So then I may as well not listen to her. I did something similar with my anxiety. I called, I named my anxiety, my opponent. Yeah. Your inner saboteur yeah. is what RuPaul yeah. calls that. And so I, I, uh, that's your funny. Opponent. My <laughs> I opponent. It. I love so it. Whenever I get really anxious, I go, damn it. My opponent always one step ahead, mm-hmm. undermining me. And that, that sometimes that humor knocks me out of it. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's valuable. It is. But, um, yeah, I got a chance to meet Jim Davis, my, I saw when you were posting about that. It was so exciting. Yeah. And I sat, you know, he pulls me aside and sits me down and says, Oh, you know, I heard, um, my son came in cause he was overhearing your conversation. He told me how, um, you get all this hate mail sometimes. And they were asking you about that. And you were talking about how you deal with it. And he was really impressed that, that you don't get mad or anything. You just respond to him. And, and he goes, what my son doesn't understand is that just comes with the job. You know, we, guys like us, we get it. And Steve Hammaker, who was with me, overheard him say, you know, we understand it. We get it. And Steve just looked at me and mouthed, oh, my God. Like, he <laughs> considers you a peer. Yeah. And um, I said to him, like, I got to ask you. Um, I finally felt comfortable asking him this because he had said that to me. And I said, look, I'm, I'm never going to be you. I'm never going to have goddamn building with a logo on it but at some point you went from being oh god what am i doing maybe i can do this another year to okay i'm safe like how do you get over that hump and he said oh you never do no matter what Mm -hmm. you do no matter how much you succeed it just gets hungry i'm sure the voice says this could all be taken away he said you always have to feed the beast Mm mm-hmm and I went, gee, thanks, Jim. And he goes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that guy has more money than God. Yeah. But they, they were joking at pause that, because Jim, Jim comes in and writes the strip and maybe doodles out a little sketch. And then a bunch of artists make the comic now. Yeah. 
And I said, well, do you think Jim ever draws for fun? And they all laughed because they said that um, he only draws in his sketchbook and he doesn't let anybody see it. But they refer to it as his or he refers to it as his grandchildren's um, college fund. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because it's just, you know, it's just art that no one's ever seen. And, you know. That guy's got a, a company that was the biggest one of the biggest media companies in the world. He, I mean, he just sold it to Viacom. Sold it to Nintendo wow. Nickelodeon. And even he was saying, no, it never ends. You you always have to keep feeding the beast. You always have to worry. It's always something yeah. else. So, yeah. So crazy. Yeah, I feel yeah. very fortunate in my life that I've, I've been able to meet people that I super admire and somehow have made those people my friends. I don't know if I do witchcraft on the side or whatnot, but like, you know, I was speaking to you before about a friend of mine about Coco Peru. And... You know, she is for those of you who don't know, amazing drag queen. Um, but she told me that the times that she responded to nasty comments, like you were talking about before, you know, right. Or hearing that conversation, but that the times she was, she's responded with like kindness yeah. or like understanding that those nasty people have also become her friends or at least right. become kind in return. Cause they don't expect it. And the other thing that I can't help, but, but like remember is reading something once that said Beyonce doesn't read the comments. And I was like, oh. what does that really mean? And I thought, yeah, what that means is she doesn't have time to right. sit and read. She's doing stuff. She's yeah. making cool stuff, you know? And that, that's kind of what I wanted to be like. Cause I was like, no, I want to be busy making stuff. So I don't have time to read these dumb comments. But some, sometimes it takes like everything in me not to, because you meeting Jim Davis is what I have to attribute that, not attribute that to, what I have to liken that to is like me shakily bringing you a stapled comic at Stumptown Comics oh, Fest. Geez. Don't compare me to Jim. But for, but for me, that was like my Jim. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not joking. And so like every once in a while, I have to be like, keep it cool. <laughs> because, <laughs> it's so funny <clears throat> because I don't consider myself anybody's that. And when... I remember you bringing me that comic. And I also remember you at Emerald city con just coming up one day and just like walking up and dropping a Val stand up cut out. Oh yeah. I love and giving just, people stuff. Like you just that. put it on my table and walked away. And I just, I reverse engineered that drawing the rest of the day. <laughs> I just couldn't believe you brought it to me. Um, I so funny. I firmly believe that like people. So when we're little kids, we enjoy drawing, making up stories, playing pretend, and we do that with our friends. So I firmly believe that as adults, what we want to do is make stuff with our friends. Yeah. So networking to me, not that I was trying to network with you. It was more of a like, I love your stuff kind of thing. But like, if people in comics are trying to network to get ahead, you can sense that. You can sense like a weird and genuine kind of like, oh, this person wants something from me. Right. But I feel like if you just try to get to know people, yeah. you, can make, you can make them your friend. Like if you're genuinely interested in other people and who they are and what they make and what they do, you can be friends. And then people also want to work with people that they can trust. And if you don't know somebody, it's hard to trust that person. So yeah. if you have a friend you can trust, then you're like, that's the person that I think I want to work with. Or that's the person I want to recommend because they can do a good job on my friend's book, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. I grew up with everyone I knew liking to 
do the same thing. When I was growing yeah. up, we all wanted to draw and make up characters and tell stories. That's why we played Dungeons and Dragons, for God's yeah. sake. In junior high, a bunch of my friends and I started our own comic book company, and we were assigning each other titles and That's drawing awesome. the covers. Even though we couldn't do the whole comic, we'd just make the covers and then write the stories. But then it's what's funny is that at some point, uh, you hit a point where everyone starts judging their work against everyone else's work. And whenever there's someone who pulls ahead, then the rest bail. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly That's it's not true. about making stuff anymore. Then it's about, I can't, I can't keep up. That's sad. Isn't that funny? Same thing with my yeah. brother. My brother and I used to draw together all the time. And now it's almost like he's embarrassed to draw around me. And every Aww. time he draws something, he shows it to me and he goes, well, you know, I know you could do better. You know, he's but 47 now. That's too bad. Just draw like do is that, great. Yeah, just draw for fun. Who cares? Like, I think that, um, you know, sometimes I'll say like, oh, I watched that movie just for the clothes or I listened to that yeah. song just because it makes me feel good. Like, there's nothing wrong with drawing for fun and just to make something cool. And, you know, it's when you try to, like, put it up against someone else's stuff that I think we we don't, you know, like what we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I miss talking to you, buddy. Same here. I Hopefully really pretty soon we'll be able to get together. Yeah. And what are you working on now? About right now reptile. Yeah, I'm finishing up the fourth issue of that right now, writing that. And so doing lots of notes for the other issues. But um, I'm pitching a couple projects. One is hopefully an autobio book. And um, I'm writing a couple other things that obviously I can't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but mostly, so I have another book coming out in October. Um, two books actually coming out in October. One is an autobio book I wrote about Cesar Chavez. Okay. And the other one is an original book, um, an independent comic I wrote called Lifetime Passes about mm -hmm. a theme park. I think I've told you about that one before. Oh, but, yeah. You yeah. did tell me about that. And so Claudia Aguirre, who drew Hotel Dare, she also drew this book. And um, it's featured. Is it, all, in, hmm? is it already done? Yeah, it's done. Wow. Um, it'll be out in October. It's um, features a Mexican-American you know, teenage girl who is a DACA kid. Her parents were deported to Mexico. And uh, she loves this local theme park. So it's about some wackiness that ensues. Uh, it's being called... Um, Cocoon meets Heathers. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Is that uh, Oni publishing it or? No, that's with Abrams who has a new like publishing arm for graphic novels called Shirley Press. Oh, nice. Um, so that'll be their first book actually. Cool, cool. But yeah, both of those are out in October. So I'm really excited about that. Look at you, man. Yeah. I'm Look very tired. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but I, I'm doing all this so that one day I don't have to be so tired. <laughs> well, if people want to find more of your stuff, is there a place they can go? Yeah, I was told in art school to be easy to find. So <laughs> my website's terryblast.com. Great. My, tw my Twitter and Instagram are just terryblast. Um, so yeah. B-L-A-S. That's it. All right. I love you, brother. Right back at you. I miss you. Same. I miss you too. Once, once I've had both my shots, I will uh, we'll schedule some time to hang out. Yeah, I'll let you know once my two weeks have passed. <laughs> yeah, me too, buddy. That sounds awesome. Thanks for podcasting with me. Anytime. All right. So my best to Scott and the, and the doggies. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, hey, hey. It's Scotty K. 
Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, as well as outtakes and other special features, please consider becoming a patron. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity and sign up there. If you like what you heard, let a friend know about us. And if you leave us a five star review somewhere, we might even read it on our next show. Surviving Creativity is a Toonhound Studios production. Our associate producers are Todd Shoemaker, Ryan King, K.R. Hinton, Jonathan Small, Ryan Fisher, John Sanford, Dale Richardson, Bob Glasscock, Chris Beverick, and I Need to Make This Reward Tier More Expensive. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Surviving Creativity.